This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Mike and Kev back tomorrow at 9.30 in for Judy Hartley Brewer when she's off to do her jury service. Uh, we've got plenty of service to bring you today, of course, because I've just been to America. I've got some things to tell you about what happened while I was there. Uh, I was there basically to see my mother and some other members of the family, but picked up one or two little tidbits of information. Uh, and I was also doing the opposite journey to Rachel Reeves. Uh, she's got herself into a bit of hot water uh, by pretending that she didn't fly uh, business class, when in fact she did. Um, although I'm wondering if if it was actually better than business class, as it might have even been a first-class seat. 3A was the seat. I was in 23A, uh, and that was business. But uh, it certainly didn't cost 8000 It didn't cost 4000 It cost 1000 And it cost about 500 quid. But the point about uh, travelling these days is that you always have to find out whether it's going to be workable, whether it's not going to be workable. And what I can say is that the Americans have still not quite got the handle uh, on actually getting people in and out of the country. You have to queue for ages to get in, and you even have to queue for quite a long time to get out. Uh, Britain, on the other hand, was actually relatively easy. So for all those naysayers who say, oh, no, they can't run anything in Britain, actually the airport wasn't bad at all. 0344 499 1000. We're going to be talking to a great many people, including Kate Hoey, Baroness Hoey, of course, an affiliated peer. We'll find out from her just what it is about working in government and working in politics that is so debilitating. We've, hear, and we've heard this morning that uh, Dominic Raab, after being kicked out of his cabinet job, supposedly for bullying members of the civil service, uh, is going to get out of politics altogether, basically, because he says... He doesn't want to put his family through it anymore. We've got Keir Starmer talking about revitalising the NHS. Nobody quite believes how he's going to do that or if he is, in fact, going to do it. Uh, we've got green quangos inside the Department of the Environment stopping housing being built. Uh, we've got the police over in Portugal, of course, uh, still looking uh, for Madeleine McCann um, and much else besides. We'll catch up as well with Laura Dodsworth and find out what she's been up to. We want to hear from you as well. 0344 499 1000 is the number, of course. It's our first day back with the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let us get it on. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Nice to be back. It doesn't feel like I was away for very long. I was only away yesterday. Kevin and did my show for me. Uh, so back to normal, uh, back to the hard grindstone of work. And uh, I have to say, the tubes this morning were pretty quiet. I got to Heathrow around about 8 o'clock this morning, or 7 o'clock, I should say. And I went between 7 and 8 o'clock uh, from basically Paddington and the Heathrow Express into London Bridge. And, you know, there's not many people around still. I mean, I remember when I used to take the train on a regular basis, it was absolutely rammed to the gunners. You couldn't get on some of the trains, but there's still an awful lot of people still apparently working from home. But let's say a very good morning to Baroness Kate Hoey, unaffiliated peer, of course. Kate, very nice to see you. How are you? 
Good morning, Mike. I'm very well, and you look very well. How yes. Well, considering I've only had about two hours sleep, I mean, yeah. I mean, like Rachel Reeves, I decided to make the jump to go up to business class. Actually, it's a much more pleasant way to travel, and I think I might have to do it a bit more often. But um, yeah, I'm still puzzled by how quiet London is at certain times when you expect it to be busier. There's still quite a lot of people, seemingly, um, not travelling around. Yeah, I think I think the middle of the week seems to be when people go into their offices. Uh, Wednesdays yeah. seem to be quite a busy day, and I, I suppose with so many bank holidays on a Monday, people are re- have been treating sort of Tuesdays almost as a, yes. as a day at home as well. But you're right. I mean, I notice it. I I come over most weeks to London for a couple of days, and right. I from Northern Ireland. And I I just I'm amazed how um, few people are around. The only thing I do notice, of course having been a driver all my life in London, right along the embankment yes. from Tarbury, um, how awful the traffic is now. Oh, I, it I mean, really I, is, yeah. It would make me so angry if I was driving now because um, there's hardly any room space for cars. I mean, they just don't... City Cam just doesn't want cars. No. Simple. No, I mean, I, yeah. there was a period of time when we had a, a studio out west in Ealing, so I used to have to go sort of commute between the two here in London Bridge and out there in Ealing. And I was spending sort of ten and a half hours in the car every week because you would never really get above about 10 miles an hour uh, at any mm. point all the way out there. And, and there is something hideous about it, you know. Um, the oh, the, and, the, the and traffic it, is just you, horrendous. I, I, I t- whenever you talk to a taxi driver, I mean, they obviously are feeling very, very angry the way they are now being treated. And, you know, this whole speed limit is just so difficult when you're in a... to try, And it, it makes the traffic much worse. So I think, I think you know, there's got to be a really, really strong candidate for mayor mm. next year. And I think Sadiq Khan might find that it's not as easy as he thinks it's going to be if he's standing again. Yes. Well, do you know, it was a lot closer last time with Sean Bailey than anybody expected it to be. And I think Sadiq Khan is vulnerable. And I think there are enough people, certainly with the way the ULO's vote has been going and the way that people have been speaking mm-hmm. out about that, that that might be his undoing. Well, I, I, I definitely there is a feeling that he's, he's had his time. And, you know, I don't think we should have a mayor for more than probably two terms. That no. was the original idea. Uh, and uh, after that, I think we need somebody new. But I think they need somebody that can be coalesced around by, uh, you know, people who are maybe naturally in another supporters of other parties. Uh, because mayors, you know, Ken Livingston was a little bit independent. Boris was sort of seen as a little bit independent yes. too. As and I think what you need is someone who is not prepared to just be the kind of, um, you know, taking the, the whip, so to speak, from right. their own party. Yeah, I mean, it's a special job and it should be treated differently to any other job, I think. And, you know, it's not like being mayor of anywhere else in, in the world. It's mayor of one of the biggest cities in the world and one of the biggest financial yeah. centres in the world as well. But funnily enough, speaking of that, Telegraph this morning has got a story saying uh, that the, the financial centre uh, of London might in fact be in some way being left behind by rival cities. I'm not sure that stands up, does it? Well, I, I mean, there seems to be conflicting uh information on that and i mean i read something quite recently how well the city was doing yeah. I, I you know i'm not a i'm not um i'm not what you'd call a city expert mm. but i would be very surprised i think an awful lot of that is uh, almost wishful thinking from some people who really don't want our city of london to do well because yeah. they see it as because they promised before we left the european union that the city would collapse almost if yes. we left of well, do you remember all those stories that said that everyone, all the big sort of um, financial houses were moving their headquarters to uh, to Frankfurt because they thought they'd have to be inside the EU? And it never happened. No, it didn't. And, uh, you know, I'm afraid on a lot of other things. I mean, don't let me, don't get me started. No, I want to get you started on the Ramonas. I want to get you started. 
<laughs> but but uh, you know I I I just I'm, I'm I have to say I'm just disappointed that our own government hasn't been more more robust and energetic mm. and positive about the advantages of leaving and has allowed the media you know the mainstream media on the whole to paint this picture of everything that's wrong is because we've left the European yeah. Union when in fact. It could be so, so much better. And there is this narrative, isn't there, being created, and we know why it's being created, by people who never thought we should have left, uh, who basically say it's not working, it hasn't worked, it's time to go back in. And frankly, that's a ludicrous point of view anyway. But also, you're right, this government should be more robust, should be trying uh, harder to get things done quicker, because it doesn't seem to be doing that. Yeah, well, you know, the idea we could go back in and then we'd have to join the you know, to take the euro and all of that. I mean, that's not going to happen. But the problem is, it's almost worse being kind of, you know, out, but then with the government trying to always be as close as possible and not allowing business to have that independence of of, uh, not having to follow Mm. EU. And, you know, the the bill that's going through and just completed yesterday, the um, law about getting rid of European law yeah. in the Lords. It's going back to the Commons now. Well, it's been amended quite a lot in the Lords, as you'd imagine, to make it not so strong. And, you know, that seven years since we've left and we're still only getting rid of some of the laws that mm. could have been gone. But then you see it, you know, I, I mean, the, the most, frankly, the most horrifying story for me this week that makes me most angry is the Suella Braverman because she is, to me, one of the, the last remaining genuine uh, sort of leavers who yes. really believe in the European Union. And she's clearly being set up. You know, it's, it's just shocking. But they're taking uh, them on sort of one by one, aren't they? Almost yeah. as if they're sort of trying to pick them off. They managed to get Dominic Raab. Um, they're now trying to get Suella Braverman. You know, they will consider, they've got Priti Patel. They'll continue to just try and pick people off. Because I think the Suella Braverman story is a complete red herring. I mean, who so cares? I, I just think it's dreadful. And, you know, I mean, if you can't trust your own civil... I mean, I remember when I was a minister, I had a wonderful private office. And, you know, you would have gone to your private secretary and said, oh, look, I've got to do this. Do mm. you think I could do that? And you waited to see what, you know, they would they would give advice. Right. You didn't expect it then to be read in the papers in six months' time that you'd asked for something, you know, you'd right. asked about advice for something. I just think it's shocking. And again, it's an example of how, you know, the civil service seemed to have... I think, changed quite hmm. a lot in their attitude in the last number of years about their independence and their impartiality. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me to be a perfectly reasonable question to ask. If you, Because I've had to go through one of those uh, speed awareness courses. They're a pain in the neck. Um, but if you're somebody who's quite well known, you don't necessarily want to sit on a Zoom call with those 10 or 15 other people, you know, because yeah, they'll start I didn't, talking about it. Didn't you know? I didn't realise you could actually pay and get on on your own and I mean I can imagine that some other people will have done that yeah um, but uh, clearly she was given the advice that it wasn't you know she couldn't do it or whatever and she paid her three points um, I, I mean I have to admit I have done one on Zoom it was right. during the COVID time and um, I, I found it quite interesting I just sat and listened right. there was one man who, the one man who kept talking the whole time and asking questions and all the rest of us were sort of getting a little bit uh, Right. Tired. I mean, it did go on a bit, didn't it? I mean, but, but we've all we've all been there. It's not as if you know some people are going. It's a terribly serious offence. Well, it's an offence. It's not. I would say terribly serious, really. Um, but if no. you're the Home Secretary, I don't think there's any reason why you should have to sit through it like everybody else. But if if if, if Rishi Sunak lets her go, I think that really does tell us or confirms some of the things that perhaps we've been thinking mm. about him. 
Well, yeah. And I mean, because there are, as I say, there are now people being picked off. Now, what did you make of Dominic Robb's um, statement where he's basically said, look, you know, for the sake of my family, I'm going to chuck it in. I don't have a particular candle to hold for Dominic Robb. I don't know the guy, but it seems a shame that somebody who has had that kind of high office now feels that it's too toxic a job. Yeah. Yes, it is. It, you know, he obviously has been hurt very badly by what happened to mm. him and the fact he's no longer in government. And when you are in government, you do get a certain amount of protection for your family, which would be which is not there anymore. Uh, and also, he's he's got a very very difficult seat to fight. So I imagine that's been part of his um, you know thinking that yeah. you know, you really want to spend the next year fighting to keep a seat that he could well lose. Yes. Uh, that he'd be, you know, he's better to go with kind of dignity and um, why he's got a, an opportunity yeah. to get another job. But I mean, but I if, suppose... They are driving people out of politics, you know, by the way that they are being picked on and the media is yeah. acting. Yeah, and I mean, you don't want a situation really where all we have left are people who are sort of slightly deranged, slightly kind of ideological, slightly crazed, and they're the only ones that can end up actually being MPs. Yes, or, or just being people who say yes... Yeah, and then know when the you know when they, uh, the policy changes. I mean, I, I just want people to go into politics because they believe in something, and then try and stick to that, even yeah. if their party line changes. And that's not happening. Mm. Um, I, but who knows? You know, things can change again. And I think the some of the moves, certainly within the Conservative Party, that we saw with the, that recent conference, you know, of, of conservatives themselves saying, "Look, our party is no longer really democratic. We've got to sort this out yeah. first." To get uh, to, to be able to choose leaders and to select candidates and all of that, so we we um, oh the cliche we live in interesting times yes, as far as politics. We certainly do, and and stay where you are because I want to talk to you about Northern Ireland as well and, and the whole sort of Brexit situation, but also a bit of breaking news: Prince Harry apparently has lost his bid to challenge the decision, uh, which was not to allow him to pay for UK police protection. So that would appear to be the end of that particular road unless he decides to appeal it uh, so he won't be able to uh, pay for his own private police force effectively while he's here in the UK. We'll have more from Baroness Kate Howey coming up next on Talk TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Gabby says this, uh, Ray Suella and civil servants, if placing a civil servant in a compromising situation is a resignation matter, presumably the leader of the opposition would also have to resign. The appointment of Permanent Secretary Sue Gray as his chief of staff compromised the requisite perceived neutrality of the civil service. Or do we have one rule for Labour and one rule for the Tory government? Well, um, Gabby, I think unless things have changed, um, that Sue Gray is not going to be able to take up that job uh, as chief of staff of Sakir Starmer's uh, Labour Party, but uh, I remain to be convinced. And how about this from Jackie? Mike, well, are we doing democracy by mob rule, whereby the blob and the mainstream media can usurp a democratically elected minister whose politics they don't agree with? Playground politics by Labour, and a lot of them need to grow up. Well, I think a lot of people are a bit fed up, generally speaking, with uh, the way things are politically. Um, talking of which, though, just before we move on to Northern Ireland, Kate, we're with Kate Hurry. Um, what do you make of the Prince Harry shenanigans? Because, of course, he's been in and out of court now for so long that you wonder when he has time to actually do anything else. He's been in and out trying to get royal protection for when he comes and then he comes back without the royal protection. Then he says he wants to pay for royal protection and then he goes back home again and he comes back again. I mean, it's all a bit confusing, really, isn't it? Yeah, I know for someone who supposedly wanted privacy to bring up his family and, <laughs> yes. and uh, that's why he was leaving the United Kingdom, he has done practically anything he could to get into the front pages. Yes. Uh, so I'm not, I, I fully understand why he's lost that case. I mean, why should our hardworking uh, police 
officers in, in, in London where we have so few and so we need so many be kind of taken off and be paid privately to look after him. I just don't think that it's he's either he's either part of the royal family, in which case yeah. he would all of that or he's not. And he has decided that he wants to uh, do have his private life, make his own money. Uh, be independent, still keep his royal title, of course. Yeah. So I'm not, a, I'm not a fan. I mean, I'm sad because I was very keen on Harry. I thought he had changed from being quite a difficult young man, as many yes. young men go through, and then became very, very involved and did such good work uh, with veterans and the, um, you know, the, the sports uh, organisation that he set up for disabled servicemen and women, and, and that, that then all disappeared um, when he. Um, met the love yes. of his life. Well, it's all a bit despotic, this kind of striding around the world, expecting people to do things for you. As long as you pay them, the peasants can just look after me. Yeah. I mean, it's really yeah. quite sort of revolting, actually. I, I, I just think it's, you know, his... his um, I did think at the beginning, that perhaps when he was first went away, that, you know, people would, would sort of miss him or would, it would start, he would start to feel that, uh, you know, people really wanted him to come back and all of that. But I think that's completely gone. He's completely blown it now in terms of public opinion yeah. uh, and so I, he would be much better advised to kind of keep off the media keep off writing and just get on with um being you know, a father perhaps good works and looking after his children yeah you would think fine. so you would think so this morning the just of oil brigade are out again um and the police appears to be arresting the wrong person they've arrested a guy who was trying to stop them uh, from demonstrating on blackfriars bridge and quite heavy-handedly they've they've dragged away the guy who was trying to stop the just stop oil people from blocking the traffic yeah. seems to be uh, the wrong way around doesn't it oh yeah and they did that the other the other i saw some horrific pictures the other the other week of something like that happening. I, I just, I don't understand it because as we know, they they were able to lift people who were standing with, you know, in theory, standing with silent plaques at the coronation. Yes. And they did know that they were going to do something which would have disrupted particularly the horses, but they were arrested quite quickly. And yet these people, very small numbers now, it doesn't take many of them to actually completely slow up the traffic. On That was Tower Bridge this morning. And, um, it doesn't look like there were more than perhaps a couple of dozen. No. I just wonder, and that's the City of London police there too, so they're obviously taking the same, um, you know, the same action as the Metropolitan Police. And then you see these pictures of the police kind of chatting away to them. And yeah. someone, someone tweeted about, you know, they were next waiting for them to be offered a cup of tea and share a cup of tea mm. and a coffee together. Right. It, it's really wrong, and, and you know, you can't, you can't, um, I, I can understand how somebody would get out and start getting yeah. very angry. Well, I mean, uh, as you were saying, it's hard, it's hard enough to get around London. And when you do finally get a piece of road that you can drive on, you don't really want it to be uh, to be held up by these idiots. Yeah. Well, you see, I think some some someday somebody will, you know, in a van or something, get really angry and yeah. drive forward fast and somebody will get very badly hurt. And, you know, I think the police should be able to warn these people that the next time there is a disruption like this, they are going to go in and lift them and all. And just lift but, them all, because you can see the police restraining this guy, using quite a lot of force, you know, yeah. much more so, I think, than they need to do. Um, he's Absolutely. clearly upset. He's, got, he's a working man. He's trying to get to do his work, trying to do his yeah. job. You know, they should be protecting him. I, I, I do. I think it's shocking. And, and I don't know what... I, I mean, again, well, maybe that's something that... You know, perhaps that is something that the Home Secretary's got to get involved. The problem is we've got this this kind of pseudo-independence to the police now yeah. that, um, 
you know, there's no one you really wonder if someone if there is anyone really, really in charge who can actually make things happen. Mm. And um, I, I would have thought that the scenes we're seeing there on, on, on Tower Bridge are just going to make people more and more angry. And yeah. as I said, something something terrible will happen. And then yeah. everyone will be saying, why didn't we? Why didn't we? Yes, exactly. There's right. only about a dozen people there. You know, know. They could be picked up in two minutes. Exactly right. And I mean, let them, if they want to march somewhere, let them march somewhere. But this the slowing down of traffic and walking slowly in front of traffic. You know, it's a disruptive and very, very irritating practice. Well, the idea is that if you want to have an official march, you have to go through all sorts of bureaucracy mm. and boxes and sign up to, you know, who are the stewards and have. I remember years ago when I might have been involved in, in some kind of demonstrations, you know, that you had to do it properly. Uh, and now, of course, mm. it, it looks like anyone can do anything and, and the police turn their backs. Yeah, amazing. Finally, oh, let's well. just talk a little bit about Northern Ireland. What's happening there at the moment in terms of your um, Northern well, Ireland protocol? Just, we've just had the council elections and, and like council elections everywhere, there were you know bad results and good results for the different parties. But yes. the, the sort of takeaway from it is that the, 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 the soft nationalist vote, the SDLP, has more or less folded into... Uh, the Republican mm. vote of Sinn Féin. So the, the Sinn Féin vote went up uh, quite a lot. But the DUP, that's the party that's staying out of government, they didn't, you know, they maintained their vote. I think there was a huge amount of pressure on them from people like Biden and Tony Blair mm. and Clinton, the media and everyone. And there was, a, you know, to try and push the DUP vote not to... Uh, vote for the DUP because they wanted to get back in. They wanted them to get back into Stormont. That didn't happen. The right. pressure, they upheld the pressure. And we're now back to a situation where they're being quite firm that they won't go back in uh, until there has been changes now to this, uh, what I call the um, the um, framework protocol. Yes. Right. Uh, it, it's, it's more or less the protocol with a few changes that hmm. haven't really changed the fundamental issue that Northern Ireland is separated out from the rest of the United Kingdom. We didn't get the same Brexit and our internal trade between Great Britain and Northern Ireland is still affected. And until that ha that gets changed and the government accept that they're going to have to look in at, uh, you know, renegotiating something about mm. it and not playing into the hands of the European Union. Yeah. Then well, I mean, the devolution. No, because the European Union is still, uh, as best we can uh, determine, absolutely full on wanting to, um, to to expand, full on wanting to bring more regulation. I think yeah, since we since we left, they brought in something like twenty five thousand new regulations, haven't they? Yeah, and and then the um, you know the president of the European Commission, she seems to love the United Kingdom. She's always here. She bounced over to to Northern yeah. Ireland during the Good Friday Belfast Agreement. She came to the coronation, or she came to the the various things before the coronation. I think she was actually at the coronation. Yeah. Um, it's just they just seem to want to be here all the time. And uh, I think again we're we're seeing that you know Rishi Sunak is playing this idea that we have to be so nice and friendly to our good friends and neighbours, yeah. but our good friends and neighbours aren't being good friends and neighbours back. No, it was ever thus. But listen, uh, great to talk to you once again. Thank you. Baroness Kate Hoey, unaffiliated peer there on the subjects of Northern Ireland, on the subjects of Prince Harry uh, and much else besides. Coming up, we're going to find out a bit more about the Just Stop All protesters and why the police have arrested a man who was actually trying to help people get around the city, uh, doing maybe something a little bit harder than he would have otherwise been allowed to do. But surely the fact is he should not be the one getting arrested. We'll talk more about that. Plus, we're going to talk to Liz Perkins, the reporter uh, for the South Wales Evening Post. 
Coast because there's been some trouble in Cardiff overnight, uh, and some mini riots basically going on, uh, and some police officers being injured, two uh, young men killed in a car crash as well. We'll find out what's that all about uh, coming next on Talk TV. On DAB Plus, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. We've got much to do and plenty of time to do it. We're here, of course, until one o'clock. You know what to do. Give us your views on all of it as well. 0344-499-1000 is the number. Uh, Mike, why don't the police let these loonies have their protests but keep one lane open where they can, uh, says Pete in Birmingham. Well, that would make a lot of sense. The fact is that they should not be allowed to block the traffic because the people trying to go about their business in London have a right to be able to go about their business. And they should not be held up completely and utterly by these bozos walking slowly. It's ridiculous. But we'll come back to that in a moment. Let's talk to Liz Perkins now, who's with the South Wales uh, Evening Post. Because Cardiff last night uh, was aflame. Uh, not all of it, but, but certain sections of it. Uh, there were rioters throwing fireworks at police. There were cars getting set on fire. It all kicked off because two young men apparently were caught up in a car crash and they both died. And some story went out that it was as a result of a police chase, which turns out the police are now denying. Um, but there was an awful lot of trouble. Quite a few police officers injured. It went on for quite a long time. Let's find out from Liz uh, what the latest is. Liz, a very good morning to you. Morning, how are you? Yeah, good. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, is that right that it was all sort of started by what appears to have been a fatal car crash, which the people of that part of Cardiff thought was caused by the police? Well, it was essentially uh, two teenage boys were involved in an e-scooter crash and suggestions were that the police had been involved in chasing them. That right. rumour spread okay. on social media very rapidly and it led to a massive backlash that turned into riots and people wearing balaclavas started hurling fireworks, uh, concrete blocks, anything they could get their hands on. And they started targeting cars. And you can imagine the people living in Ely were just utterly terrified yeah. of these scenes. I mean, it's just all hell broke loose on the streets. It was just utterly horrific. Yes, it's um, extraordinary. I mean, it looks like something from one of those American cities, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the situation usually is, you know, not nowhere near like that. I mean, you had residents who have lived there for 27 years saying they have never, ever seen anything like this in their whole entire lives. Mm. I mean, you've got a situation where innocent people were accused of being undercover police wow. and they were starting to attack them as well. And clearly today arrests have been made, but we haven't been given a figure for that. But it's just utterly shocking mm. That, you know, you didn't just have people actually in the area of Snowden Road getting involved, but you had people from across Cardiff who actually travelled across to get involved in this night of violence that went on mm. for nine hours. It's just utterly unbelievable. I mean, clearly it's tragic that these two teenagers have died, but yes. there is absolutely no excuse for this kind of behaviour at all. No, quite. And has it been something that started just out of the blue? I mean, were there signs that something like this could happen? You know, sometimes there's tensions in local areas. I mean, Ely's not a particularly terrible area, is it? Well, Ely is a deprived area. I mean, they have about 100, 103 crimes per 100,000 people. So it's always been known to have um, an issue around crime and poverty. Right. However, scenes like this do not happen on a regular basis there. I mean, you know, it's just utterly unbelievable what we're seeing. And it's just today, uh, somebody described it as a war zone and it's just a total mess. There is glass everywhere. There's debris everywhere. And there are normal, everyday people picking up the pieces of their lives right now. Yeah. And, you know, they can't afford to be 
buying new cars and and trying to um you know clear up and, and look after their homes and it's just so terrible that this has happened it should never have happened in the first place there's just Utterly unbelievable, really. Right. And is the sense that the people doing the violence were, were from the area or is it the sense that they came in and were from somewhere else? There were some people obviously involved from the area, but there were other people from other parts of Cardiff as well. I mean, the police have made clear that this is completely unacceptable oh. and the culprits will be punished as a consequence of this. I mean, you can't allow such behaviour to take place in the streets of the capital of Wales, to be honest, it uh, you know we can't have that at all, and the police have to clamp down on it. I mean, they've been injured as a result of what went on. I mean, luckily they didn't suffer mm. uh, life-threatening injuries as a consequence of the actions of, you know, 150 people basically all converged on this part of Cardiff, and uh, well, the scenes speak for themselves. Yeah. And I mean, presumably there'll be fears that something again will happen tonight. What what will the police do to try and prevent that? Well, the police are still there. They haven't left the scene. And uh, clearly, you know, they have a tough job to do. So I can't imagine that they're going to leave the area anytime soon because they can't afford to at the moment. I mean, given the tensions are running high and people are very, very scared about what's going to happen next. Right, exactly right. And as far as the two young men are concerned, do you know many more details about what happened to them? Well, I mean, all I know at the moment is that, you know, this tragic crash has happened. I mean, I'm sure that families and friends at some point will be speaking out about this. I mean, you know, what their view is, you know, it's bad enough to have to deal with this tragedy as it is without this scale of violence. Mm. And I'm sure that, you know, they wouldn't have wanted the the violence and, you know, they are coming to terms with their loss today. It must be incredibly difficult for them. Yeah, I think it must be. And and a very difficult day as well for for the people of Ely, I guess, because, you know, they, they may or may not have lost some form of property in, in, in the violence last night, or they might have lost a car, any number of things are possible. Absolutely. I mean, they are literally having to come to terms with this utter mess. It's just that, you know, you see the street cleaners out there, the job they've got to do right now is just horrendous. I mean, it's just, I've never seen anything quite like it, mm. honestly. It's, you know, I feel very, very sorry for those innocent people who basically are waking up to yeah. all of this. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's many of them weren't able to get to sleep in the first place because of the noise and and just so fearful in terms of what was yeah. going on. I mean, they were inundating the police with calls. It was just, well, you can see it for yourself. It's horrendous, really, isn't it, Just Yeah, it really is. And, I mean, are feelings running higher between the police and the community in, in any other areas? Well, the, well, at the moment, it's it's difficult to say. I mean, clearly... These people have come from different parts of Cardiff. Mm. I know that there are um, areas in the city where um, the police are not exactly loved by the locals there. Mm. And that is because there is elements of crime there. Um, but, you know, there is obviously tensions with police in different parts of the UK as well. So, I mean, unfortunately, it's not unique to Cardiff. And I'm sure that Cardiff... I wouldn't want that reputation on the back of uh, this situation because clearly this does not happen every day. No. Well, let's just hope that it doesn't happen um, anymore and we have a peaceful night. But Liz, thanks very much indeed for talking to us. Liz um, Perkins, the reporter for the South Wales Evening Post. It's not clear, as uh, the police have said this morning, uh, what the link is between the crash 
and the disorder. Um, Alan Michael says this. Um, he's the police commissioner uh, for South Wales. He says, it would appear that there were rumours and those rumours became rife of a police chase, which wasn't the case. And I think it illustrates the speed with which rumours can run around with the activity that goes on on social media nowadays and that events can get out of hand. I think that's right. Um, it's obviously not the case that the police were chasing these kids because they've said they weren't, so they've denied that. But uh, as for what happened... Anybody's guess as to whether it will happen again, whether it's a sort of unruly crowd, an unruly mob who's just taken it upon themselves to have a go at the police. Some people like doing that. And if it's a hot day, a hot night, sometimes tempers can get a little bit uh, spicy. 0344 499 1000. If you were there, if you were caught up in it, by all means, give us a call uh, and let us know what it was like. And if you know any more about precisely what happened, also, uh, do let us know. We'll take your calls on all manner of things. We'll talk a bit about Just Stop Oil and why the police were arresting the wrong people. This is Talk TV. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV with you all the way through until one o'clock, of course, when it's time for Ian Collins, uh, followed by Vanessa Feltz, followed by Jeremy Kyle, followed by Piers Morgan, and then followed by The Talk, which I think I'm on tonight. Uh, we'll have plenty to talk about, I'm sure, not least uh, what's been going on on the streets this morning. Uh, Tower Bridge blocked by Just Stop Oil. Uh, same goes for Blackfriars, where there's been a couple of altercations uh, which have resulted in ordinary members of the public being arrested, uh, while the police seem to be protecting the Just Stop Oil people. And we've also just discovered that uh, a bunch of these bozos went and turned up at the Shell annual general meeting and started singing uh, a protest song. I mean, it really is getting out of hand and ridiculous. Let's talk to Andrea Jenkins, MP for Morley and Outwood, of course, as well. Andrea, very good morning to you. Good, good morning, Mike. Thanks very much for joining us. I mean, it's getting a bit ridiculous, this Just Up All business now, isn't it? I mean, it's time for them oh. to pack their bags and go home, isn't it? I mean, this woke policing is just ridiculous. Um, I call them the Rainbow um, Police Brigade. Yeah. I mean, we've got to really protect um, the British public, not these crazy protesters. You know, I, I'd go back to the 80s where you drag them off the street, to be honest. Well, they do that in other countries. They do it in France, they do it in Germany, they do it in Spain. I don't know why we are the single most sort of lenient country in the world when it comes to dealing with these people. And it seems that the police don't think they're breaking the law. I mean, the fact that they can stop the traffic as well and, you know, the knock-on effect of the economy. We saw a few weeks ago where, you know, um, a lady getting very frustrated, she couldn't take a child to school. Yeah. It's got to stop. You mm. know, the police have got to get there, arresting people, drag them off the street and let's, and let's get the city moving again. Yeah, because they managed to do it during the coronation. There was a bit of a hoo-ha about those people from Republic being arrested. But, mm. you know, they managed to use the powers when they wanted to. And everybody said then, let's make sure they still yes. do that with Just the Poil. And they haven't. No, exactly. Mm. No, completely agree, Mike. We, you know, they need to get stronger, definitely. Right. Excellent. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Let's talk about migration because in a couple of days' time, uh, we'll get the papers and yes. the numbers from the Centre for Policy Studies and the Home Office as to how many legal migrants have come to the country in mm. 2022. Um, we think it might be about a million, or it could be somewhere close to that. It's too many, isn't it? Mm. Oh, completely. I mean, what I'm really concerned about, Mike, is, is like everybody else is, the knock-on effect on our schools. You know, people find out how to get a GP appointment, a dental appointment, look at the infrastructure, look at, look at houses. 
it has a detrimental effect and, and it's, it's way too high. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things that you're interested in looking at is the foreign students in particular, because there's an awful lot of foreign students coming. Um, we don't know precisely the numbers, but we also don't know how many people they're bringing with them because they're allowed, apparently, to bring dependents, which also seems mad to me. Um, I completely agree, Mike. If I can just um, uh, give an example of the blob, you know, the civil service. Um, when I was briefly an education minister um, until Rishi sacked me, um, you know, I was one for just under four months. <laughs> right. um, there was a meeting arranged um, <laughs> um, with Suella and, um, you know, other um, ministers about net migration figures. And each department was meant to discuss their figures and how it can be cut down. But it got cancelled, but then it got rescheduled um, without my knowledge. Mm. So, and also other things that's happened. I, I mean, I understand that... Um, the education secretary, like the current education secretary, um, is arguing for more um, people. But the, the department hit the quota, the figure, eight years ago. Right. And it's got to have a cap somewhere, Mike. You know, we, we can't have this, this completely open door. To me, the migration system should be, if we've got a skills gap, whereby um, it takes a while to train up our own people, no problem with that if people are setting up a business right. but the lower skilled jobs um, we've got some 7 million uh, people who, who are, are not accounted for um, I, I think we need to get people back to work you know yes. um, we, we shouldn't be afraid to do these low skilled jobs the British people no quite also I think that, that there's a bit of a sort of ruse going on here because I mean call me a bit of an old cynic but I don't really believe that all of these people are coming to study in this country you know they're finding a way to get here by applying for a student visa but clearly they're then staying here and bringing members of their family here because they want to live here now i don't blame them for that but we should be better at policing it i think no of course yeah. um yeah i completely agree mike i mean um i i know that universities they rely on foreign students for the because uh, they charge more with them to help pay for domestic um teaching however there's got to be a, a cap somewhere it's ridiculous and you know who are these family members you know if it's a, a young family where they've got children that's different but if they're bringing all and sundry from their family then that certainly needs to be looked at right because no matter what we are told the net sort of benefit is of people coming here and spending money in these universities and spending money in, in shops and all the rest of it eventually if they bring enough people with them that becomes a net um kind of um the opposite benefit, isn't it? It becomes, becomes a net drain on the economy. Yeah, I mean, if, you know, I mean, if people are contributing to the economy, you know, um, as a taxpayer, I've got no problem with that. But it's, it's if people could become a drain on the economy and they're not contributing, then there's major problems. But I do, I do fear the, the, the blob, the civil servants who are so left-wing leaning, um, Mike. I mean, looking at... Um, uh, for example, when I, as I said, when I was um, the um, skills minister, I mean, a quote got put out um, where it was about net migration figures in August. Mm. When I was actively doing lots of visits in August, um, and you know, some of the um, higher education institutes said, "Why is Andrew Jenkins not commented on this?" Because I wasn't asked for it, probably right. because they'd, they'd know what my view would be on it. Mm. So I do feel what the, the the civil servants are like at not giving the correct information to people yeah there's definitely a sense that there is a kind of 
wall of, of, uh, of, of obstruction, if nothing, if, if for want of a better word, uh, inside the civil service and in almost every government department. I mean, people use the phrase the enemy within. We've seen what happened to Dominic Raab. We saw that they yes. tried to do that in the Department of Health uh, when there was you know, talk of the nurses going on strike mm. and it being stopped by, uh, by the minister. Mm. So how do you get around that? How do you, how do you sort of identify it and then fix it? I mean, if, if I can first give an example, Mike, when, when I was the skills minister, I was tasked to take the freedom of, of um, speech bill through, but mm. obviously I, I want in that role when it finally went through. Um, and I wanted to meet the likes of JK Rowling, uh, meet the likes of um, those um, lecturers who'd been hounded in university mm. and lost their jobs. I mean, we saw a teacher today lose a job uh, because of wokeness. It's just getting crazy. Yeah. And the amount of obstruction I got because I wanted to meet these people and um, they, they just kept running around in circles. They kept saying, blaming the spads. The, blab, the spads even blamed the civil servants. But then, obviously, I was out, out of the role that I couldn't pursue any further. So they do give you the runaround. Mm. It is very much like, yes, minister. Now, I think the issue, my, my personal view, Mike, is that we've got too many people going into ministerial positions where, one, there's a bit of um, greenness naivety there. Another is that they... Um, they don't want to um, upset the apple cart by challenging too much because they just see this as a step on the ladder mm. to their next role. Yeah. So I think we need a lot more guts and gumption with ministers of every level and not be afraid to challenge. And they need to be backed up, don't they? Because, I'm, you know, I think Dominic Raab was, was dealt a pretty unfair hand and uh, it looks like now he's going to leave politics altogether because he feels as though, you know, he can't really do what he wants to do, I guess. And, and minister after minister has been targeted. Yeah. You know, they're currently targeting Suella Braverman over this driving offence, you know, and it just doesn't stop, does it? And it's all to, the, to those who are the centre-right of the party. Yeah. It's, it's always those. I mean, did you see um, when Suella was the um, Home Secretary, there was all these leaked WhatsApps um, regarding that the civil serv- from the civil servants that they was up in ours about the Rwanda policy yes. that was actively trying to stop it. And so, you know, it's just crazy. You know, they are not the elected um, people of government. I mean, I I wouldn't mind seeing us a bit like America in a way, Mike, where, you know, we we bring in our own people every time there's an an election at the top levels. And maybe that has to be done because this can't go on because we now know, for example, the Sue Grabe situation uh, where she was supposedly the the top civil servant inside of Downing Street, supposedly, uh, you know, impenetrable when it came to her integrity. Then it turns out she's been chatting away to Keir Starmer. Absolutely. It, and do you know, if, if that was the other way around, if it was the Conservatives, God, mm. can you imagine what it'd be then? Mm. Uh, there'd, there'd, be, it, there'd be a big uproar. And, and it also throws into question about the Boris. You know, was he targeted by um, the left um, of the civil servants? You know, so I, I, I do have questions about who they're targeting, to be honest, and, and what is the motivation? Yes, exactly right. And how's the mood these days inside the party in, in Parliament? Because obviously there are um, those who are probably more to, to the centre of the party than you, um, who like to think that they're kind of winning. Are they? I mean, I, mean, I think, um, I mean, if I just give an example on the doorstep in the local elections, Mike, you know, people were saying to me that 
they don't fear a Labour government anymore mm. because they feel they've got a socialist government now. Right. And I think that it actually puts us in a dangerous position, not only as a party, but as a country, mm. for those of us who can remember how bad Labour are at governing. So I think we need to go more to the centre-right again. We need to deliver on our manifesto commitments that we got um, elected on, including the net migration figures of yeah. 250,000. Um, we need to we need to stamp out this where you can't even have freedom of speech anymore. Mm. It, it's just getting ridiculous. And we need strong policing and we need to lower... One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Taxes, in my view. Yeah, I mean, I know we spent um, a hell of a lot during um, COVID and lockdown, but, but we need to actually, um, you know, be be a bit like um, Osborne was in, in pulling our purse strings tighter to cut down on, on um, what we're spending um, rather than raising taxes. I'm a low-tax conservative. Mm. Thank God for that. I thought they'd all disappeared. Um, but very good to hear from you. Um, there's a petition <laughs> uh, that you've also got going on at the moment about the uh, European Court of Human Rights. Tell us about that. Oh, amazing. Thanks, Mike. Um, We've got about 27,000 people so far. It's only been going just a matter of weeks. Okay. And um, we've seen how, you know, the, the, um, the judges, the lawyers keep trying to stop the, um, as, um, the, the Rwanda policy and sending people across there. And, um, and I, I believe that we should have a British Bill of Rights. Um, you know, it shouldn't be the European Court of Human Rights who have jurisdiction. So I've got a petition, Mike, to come out of the European Court of Rights and have our own British Bill of Rights. So anybody, please go on my social media, my Twitter, Andrea Jenkins, um, to, to sign it because we want to get the numbers because then um, I'm going to present it to the Prime Minister at number 10. Brilliant. Great stuff. Well, we look forward to doing that. Andrea, thanks very much indeed for talking to us. Andrea Jenkins, MP for Morley and Outwood there. Uh, Centre right and also low tax. Well, I think a lot of people would vote for that, wouldn't they? Uh, this is Talk TV. Laura Dodsworth coming next. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is that time of the week, Tuesday precisely, uh, to talk to Laura Donsworth. Hello. Good morning. How are you doing? Our, one of our favourite times of the week, it dare is. I? It is. I'm slightly <laughs> jaded, however, because I'm got in very, um, well, I say late. I got in this morning um, and came straight here. So I'm starting to feel a little bit um, sleepy. Yeah. And I'd quite like to go to bed <laughs> at some point. 
That's not a, a proposition. Um, Careful, Mike. You know, we've been called each other's TV, radio, husband and wife really? before. You're going to get the airways talking. Well, the, you thing, the thing about a journey back like that, though, is, you know, you've got the flight. But also, I think when you've been with family, which yeah. you were, you, you can come back feeling quite emotionally drained. Because mm. even though it's wonderful, it sort of takes a lot out of you, yeah. doesn't it? No, it was, it was a great weekend. We, yeah. we managed to get through quite a lot. Some, a lot of my mother, uh, who's doing OK, considering she's 99. Amazing. Um, and so, yeah, it was nice. But it's also nice because we, we worked out we hadn't all been in the same place since about 2017, you know, because we see each other all the time, but not all together because everybody lives in different places. Oh, so, that's nice. So it was really Maybe you nice. should do, um, do your show for her 100th birthday for New York. I could do that. Yeah. I could. That would be next March. So, uh, yeah, we could go for that. So, so what's been happening? What um, have I missed? What have you missed? Okay, so a little bit of a catch-up from um, a few days ago. I've decided that I should enter my garden into the Chelsea Flower Show yes. next year. Why not? Um, the reason being that I have an abundance of daisies, dandelions. I've got some wonky paving stones. I've even got an ant's nest. Okay. And I've got slugs. Well, that all sounds you very, see... very down-to-earth, <laughs> if you pardon the, the pun. Yeah, the exa exactly. You see, um, these these unwelcome beasts, well, right. we thought of them as unwelcome beasts, mm. are now to be reconsidered as welcome visitors. Yes. Uh, welcome friends. I mean, I've never All in the name of, wait for it, you're going to Go love on. this. Diversity. Diversity for yeah. slugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Diversity. I've never thought of slugs as, as being unwelcome because so I've, I've always assumed slugs live in the garden and you would want them to live in the garden, wouldn't you? I think it depends what you're trying to grow. You know, if you're trying to grow um, salad, probably not. Oh, because they eat the, late, the lettuce. Pro yeah, probably not. Right. I mean, I've, I've, I've been known to dispatch a few slugs mm. in my time. Have you? Yeah. Um, so it's just, I just thought it was quite funny. You know, it, with gardens, everything goes in fashions. Yeah. And I'm commenting on this as somebody who knows nothing about the history of gardens, the fashions in gardens, yes. and not a keen gardener. Mm. So I'm approaching this as, as a garden philistine. Yes. Um, but if, if you get to the stage where a garden philistine knows they could enter their garden, something's gone a bit wrong with gardening. Well, I suppose I think. it might be a good thing if gardens are admitted into the gardening competition because they're from all sorts of different types of gardens rather than just, you know, very posh gardens. Isn't, isn't that what they're trying to achieve, perhaps? I think what we're seeing with, um, with organisations like the Royal Horticultural Society and events like the Chelsea Flower Show, though, is this very pervasive embrace of diversity mm. where we're supposed to even welcome dandelions and slugs. Now, you know, they've, they've got their place, but they're not for everyone's garden. Mm. And I think it speaks to something deeper, which is a, a very human insecurity at the moment. You know, some of... I think there's a theme across issues like rewilding. Mm. Um, you hear a lot about rewilding. Yeah, rewilding. And I think it's about a mistrust in ourselves. Mm. So the wilderness is beautiful. And dandelions are beautiful too. And, they're, they're, you know, they're really quite amazing. You can eat the petals, the leaves, the root. You know, yeah. it's not a bad little plant. It's quite a cheerful thing. But it is a weed because mm. once you get it in your lawn, you know, you've got, you've got hundreds of the things yes. by the end of the summer. So... While wilderness is beautiful, weeds aren't that bad. The thing is, human beings can um, create farms and produce food, and we can cultivate beautiful mm. gardens. And I think at the heart of all of this is a mistrust of human beings and our ability to impose order on mm. the land. I love a beautiful garden. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, but something people, strange going on with the Royal Horticultural but Show. But a lot of people don't want a beautiful garden. They want it all rewilded, don't they? And they want it all to be kind of more like the wilderness. But you know where the wilderness is, and it's not in the middle of a city. It's outside the city, somewhere else, isn't it? It's probably a lot easier, isn't it, to just let the wilds, uh, the weeds grow wild in your garden and, well, I suppose so. and leave the slugs and maybe not bother growing any lettuce. Right. 
it's it's probably a lazy garden. And it's then an just go down the local supermarket and find there isn't any lettuce, and say so you should it should have been growing it in the first place. Um, and maybe maybe our culture's changing. Maybe people don't spend their weekends gardening anymore. I mean, I think it's a bit of a drag. Mm. If I'm if I'm really honest, I've put down a kind of little right. courtyard garden. I've got a tiny back garden. It's a courtyard now. And, Here's um, one of the gardens uh, in question. Oh yeah, you see, this is this is art, isn't mm. it? Um, I'm is not going to be able to speak. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to speak to exactly what it is. But what we have here is a concrete block with weeds growing out of it. Yeah. And I'm I'm going to guess, but I could be wrong. It's making a statement about access to greenery in inner cities. I mean, it's art, but like a lot of modern art, it's not very pretty, is it? It's not really. And I'm not really sure what it's doing at a. Um, I'm not really Chelsea sure what it's flower for. Show. No. <laughs> but then, you know, then again, we have a lot of things on this show. We never know quite what they're for. We know it well exactly. Sometimes, sometimes it can feel like we're a little bit out of touch with real life. Mm. Like the teacher, Joshua Sutcliffe, yes, um, who's in the news this week for being the first teacher who's been banned for from misgendering his, a pupil. So he's tell been me about this from because, his profession. Yeah, because he has apparently deliberately misgendered trans pupils. Now. I've got a lot of respect for this guy, I mm. have to say, because he has said that not only will he um, not use preferred pronouns, but he thinks it's psychologically damaging. Mm. And I think that we're going to find over the coming years that is the way the wind blows. You know, the Cass review mm. of the Tavistock Gender Clinic um, was very clear that social transition isn't neutral. Changing pronouns isn't neutral. Right. It's one of the steps on the way towards transition, which can involve life-changing medical treatments for young people. So Dr Hilary Cass urged some caution with pronouns. Mm. Um, Suella Braverman's written in The Telegraph about how the advice for schools is going to be that they should respect biological pronouns. Yeah. So this poor chap appears to be the victim... Um, in quite an untimely way, really, of of the woke mob. Mm. You know, he's not he's not obeying. And so he's deliberately not doing it, as opposed to mistakenly not doing it, right? I think he has claimed both. Right. But since he's been banned from his profession, he says that he he doesn't want to psychologically harm children right. by using the wrong pronouns. Now, I think that you can seek approval from these kinds of woke people forever. And it's pointless and because all they really, it. yeah, all they want to do is grind you into dust. Yes. To be honest, and people should be holding the they line. They want you to disappear, don't they? They should be holding the line like him. I think he's absolutely mm. right. He's absolutely right. So he's right. been fired from his job, presumably, and been told the he, profession he can't work again. The teaching regulatory authority has said that he can't be a teacher. Really? Mm -hmm. So that means he can't be a teacher in a private school either, or just mm -hmm. a state school. No, I think both. Mm. I think he's banned from the profession. I'm sure that this is a decision which is which is going to turn around. But, you know, we are battling a real tidal wave mm. of woke. Um, have you seen what has happened to the um, Equality and Human Rights Commission boss? Yes. I'm trying to say her name right. Kishwa Faulkner? Yeah, I have seen that. Yeah. So <laughs> this is... This is becoming a very predictable pattern mm. here where civil servants, you know, staffing quongos take issue clearly with um, their leader or their, their political leaders, mm. political and ideological beliefs. And they create a dossier of right. complaints to smear them, attack them and get them out. Right. Now, Kishwa Faulkner has been accused it's terribly of hard line as well, isn't 40 it? different offences, right. things like... Um, not being in sufficient control of meetings, right. rolling her eyes, 
being too dominating. Microaggressions, perhaps. I, you know, these are not. But these are not. This is not really serious stuff. Mm. But worst of all, you see, her big crime is apparently she described a trans participant in Brain of Britain, which yeah. is a quiz show, as a bloke in lipstick. Right. Now I think she's denied this, but. It's got that kind of um, ring of Dominic Raab throwing tomatoes, you know. Basically, they want to throw something at you, and you know what I'm talking about. It's brown and smelly. It can turn out to be a lie later on, or at least unprovable, but it doesn't matter because because the damage is done. You know, it's created the headlines. Mm. So... What they, the reason they really had it in for her is that she wanted to distinguish between gender and sex. The legislation around this is very fuzzy and their role in that organization you know it's the equality and human rights commission is not just to protect the right of trans Mm. people no it's to protect the rights of all people including women so you have to be able to distinguish between gender and sex to protect sex-based rights yes and that's what they don't like but the movement itself seeks to kind of shut you down doesn't it it seeks to stop you from using particular words or the particular descriptions or to have particular views. It's a very hard line kind of ideology, it seems to me. I think I think what it's after is complete obedience. Yeah. They want you to completely obey all of these things which feel like they're lies. I mean I'm I think it's it's feeling increasingly preposterous mm. to go along with some things. You might have also seen in the last week that Adidas have come under fire for using a male model. Yes. Um, in a women's swimming costume. I really don't know what these companies are thinking no. of. It's bizarre. It doesn't make me want to go out and buy the swimming costume. No. Target, the, the retail store, is selling underwear which has got tucking pockets so children, right. boys, can tuck their penises away mm. because they believe they're girls. You know, this is all going so far and feels so crazy and preposterous that actually we really need people like Kishwa Faulkner mm. and the teacher um, Joshua Sutcliffe to hold the line. But people in public life who do that come under this kind of attack. And, and if they do come under the attack and then they also lose the position that they've got, then, you know, who's going to then fill that spot for them? Somebody of their own making, mm. I, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's like Dominic Raab. I think that, you know, he's not everyone's cup of tea and it's very easy for people who aren't conservatives or they're not fans of the conservatives to take some kind of glee mm. in it. But the idea that civil servants or staff can just oust well, they tried to a do politician because they don't remember, like them. The morning of the um, court case with, between the government and the Royal College of Nursing, which was to try and stop them from striking on the second day after the holiday, um, it, the Guardian that morning had a story saying that Steve Barclay wasn't a very nice bloke, I mean, effectively, um, and that, you know, there were unfounded rumours, and the Guardian was writing this stuff as if it was real, mm. even though they had no named sources for the, for, this, for the quotes. It was all anonymous. It was all saying things like, well, you know, uh, he's, he's, he's thought to have a bit of a bad reputation. Some people don't like him very much. I mean, that kind of level of criticism, all of which just fell away when he won the court case and not, was never mentioned again. Absolutely. And I mean, this is this is what I'm saying. You know, you you may be a Labour voter and think, yeah, great. They're after Swella Braverman, Dominic Raab's out. Oh, yeah, I don't like this Kishwa's views on on sex and gender. But really, if we allow the blob, because that's what it is, is is the blob to oust everyone they don't like, then no one's safe. No, you know, because they'll turn on everyone in the end. And they'll just eat themselves. And there'll be no one left. Right. There'll be, there'll be no one left. You know, J.K. Rowling's mm. not good enough for them. Um, Tolkien's not good enough for them, according to that GCHQ document. You know, there was that list of all the right-wing publications and, and writers like, that are supposedly yeah. dead. Who's going to be left? It's almost like they're looking for people and going, oh, you, 
Dogsworth, you've definitely said something wrong. I'm coming for you now. Me? It's kind of what they do. I would never say anything yeah, wrong. Yeah, this I is kind of how they here, operate, though, isn't it? It is, it is. And it's really dangerous and it's really insidious. And, of course, some of it is out in the open like this, you know, dossiers supplied to newspapers because you know, or, or Channel 4. In the case of Kishwa Faulkner, the dossier has been given to Channel 4, which, mm. of course, has an incredibly left-wing bias. Yes. And sometimes it's more insidious, you know. It's... Um, it's it's big tech platforms right. um, doing their visibility filtering or blocking people and not telling you why, hasn't, basically ousting people from the public square. Speaking of which, hasn't Facebook been handed some massive fine mm. by Ireland for use, misuse of data yeah, by moving been, it all from Ireland to the US? It's a bit yeah. complicated, but sounds like a lot of money. They've been, um, it's probably a drop in the ocean for them. I'll have to check the amount. Is it in the region? I of think a, it's one point something billion. I mean, it's a lot of money. Good. Seems to me. Well, they're transferring European data to the US, yeah. which is, is not allowed right. under the data protection laws, is it? Apparently not. So they didn't ask anybody's permission. I mean, these these companies now are, um, you know, they have userships the size of large countries. Yes. You know, they're, they're so global. Mm. It's very difficult. I look forward to seeing more how these local laws play out mm. over time. I think the danger is that law instead sinks to this lowest common denominator of, of corporate governance. but um, Well, apparently Nick Clegg's complaining that it's unfair, so I'm all for it. Well, <laughs> careful. We mustn't do that thing where we think because we don't like somebody, we don't side with them. No. We should look at the facts of the case, shouldn't we? We should, but that's why I'm Except hoping... when it's Nick Clegg. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, the idea that Nick Clegg has kind of gone to run Facebook is kind of slightly disturbs me. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I do I do know exactly what you mean. But there was um I think this is this is a point we're at right now where those those people heading up these offices, Kishwa Faulkner, Suella Braverman, we can come on to her in a minute, her yeah. driving offence, they they really need to hold the line. They need to the support of Rishi Sunak yeah. and the cabinet who say enough's enough. But it's clearly enough very of tough these, to do these it. dirty leaked dossiers yeah. of confected Complaints. Well, presumably this is how the Sabella Bravman story came out, that, that somebody leaked it to a paper and somebody ran them to the story. But it seems to me that it's certainly by no means is it a resignation issue. She's and yet paid that's, the fine. But that's exactly how it's being presented, yeah. including by publications here in what I like to think of as talk TV towers. Yeah. You know, you also house the Times. Yeah. And that has produced articles saying she should go. Mm. Now, let's look at what she did. She got a speeding offence. I've had some of those. Yeah. I bet you have too. Uh -huh. You can go on one of these speeding awareness courses rather than take the points. Yeah. I've done that. She did not ask civil servants to find out how she could get out of it. She asked them for their advice yeah. about it. And I think that actually she didn't do anything wrong because she is an incredibly high-profile politician. To be on a course with people who could be anyone right. and get an idea of where she is... She probably she probably should have taken a situation like that quite cautiously. She wasn't trying to duck but I out think she did. I think of the, the offence. I think the point is that she is being accused of asking the wrong person to help her, which wasn't something that she was really doing anyway. She, she was simply saying, is there a way around this? Like, do I have to do the, 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 you know, the course with everybody else like, like everybody else does? Of course, and it's nowhere near a resignation offence. No. She was just asking for advice mm. from her staff. Um, she wasn't misusing um, their position. She wasn't asking them for anything underhand. Mm. But, of course, look at the timing. It's after she's given a keynote address at the National Conservatism yeah. Conference, making what looks like a little bit of a throw-your-hat-in-the-ring bid for leader in the future. Yes. 
and stating quite a strong case on controlling immigration. Right. And that's really what people don't like. There can't be any coincidence about the timing of this. Mm. No. I'm sure, because I remember when Rishi Sunak's story came out, when it came out about his uh, wife and all the non-dom stuff, and that, I always thought, actually came from inside Downing Street, because it was, it was Boris Johnson's kind of machine which didn't want him to succeed. So they discredited him that way. So it might even be coming from inside the Tory party, you never really know. I just don't think, I don't think they get how this looks. It's mm. a series of own goals. Yeah. I now think of the civil service as a snake pit, yeah. just a pure, totally. gigantic snake pit. Mm. And... I don't, I don't feel like I trust them. We shouldn't need their endorsement of the people who have voted in. Well, they're not the gatekeepers of democracy, are they? But that's how they're acting. That's how they do act. Because they, they, like you know, it's their train they, set. They can't stop politicians coming in, but they can force them out mm. through the back door by um, you know, whacking them on the backside yeah. with a confected dossier. And while they're in, they can just frustrate them so they don't get anything done. Yeah. That seems to be their MO. It's just creating, um, I think, a great deal of mistrust. Mm in our, our political institutions, yeah. in civil service. And it's it's ultimately an own goal. I think people will get more into Sue Alla Braverman's corner, Kishwa Faulkner's corner. Um, I had more sympathy for Dominic Raab than I'd imagined possible, to be honest, <laughs> after he was accused of, accused of throwing tomatoes yeah. at people. Which turned out to be completely untrue, by the way. Of course. Mm. I mean, what a ludicrous suggestion, but there it is. And, you know, when you search for Dominic Raab now on Google, what comes up? Throwing tomatoes. Throwing tomatoes. Right. And so there's a really kind of, there's a long-term reputational mm. damage there. Yeah. That that lingers, that creates a, a digital footprint for for months to come. Until he, and what he's got to do now, of course, is um, create a new story. Right. One that's bigger and bolder and overrides well, the tomato story. Well, his new story is that story. he's now leaving politics because he's had enough, basically. He doesn't want to do any more for his family's sake, which is well, a shame. He should, he should probably try and, and get one more exciting story out there before he retires from public life. Otherwise, that top story forever is going to be throwing tomatoes. <laughs> yes, it absolutely will. We've only got about a minute left. Do you want to do a bit of excess deaths? Yes, I think this is really important to bring up. I've brought the stat with me here. Yeah. Um, how high do excess deaths have to go before we do anything about it? This is what Dr. Carl Hennehan, um, who is director of the Centre for Evidence Based mm. medicine. Oxford has said in an article in the Sunday Express, Sunday Express, I think this is going to come as a shock to a lot of people because these excess deaths are not being widely reported on. There is no media and political pressure mm. like there were for right. COVID deaths. There were 67,724 excess deaths from April 22 to April 23. Mm. That's 12% higher than um, the pre-pandemic five-year average. And guess what? It's higher than 2021, when mm. we were still supposedly in the pandemic. Right. Where are the calls to investigate what's going on? If you remember several months back, um, Professor Chris Whitty mm. made a, quite an interesting claim that these excess deaths are due to a reduced prescribing of statins, right. which at the time I thought was very odd. Um, I'm not the scientist or the doctor. It's not my place to say what's causing them or to investigate it, but that sounds like a massive deflection to me. I think it would be fair, probably one way or another, to call these lockdown deaths. Mm. And they're attributed to a range of heart problems, diabetes, cancer referrals, A&E, pressures. Yeah. Some people are saying vaccine damage. Whatever it is, we're talking about 67,000 mm. excess deaths. I've also told, Where's the investigation? told that much of it is down to the fact that it's a higher population figure at this particular moment. You know, the, the numbers of people who were born who are now dying was never bigger. I don't know if that's a factor as well. I'm pretty sure this figure will take it into account. Yeah. It's, the, it's the ONS. Mm. Um, 
And so if you remember, you know, we had daily announcements about deaths. Yeah. When we were in lockdown, oh, that was mad because we it? were supposed to be focusing our minds all the time. Deaths. We we're told how many people died, yeah. but not how many people recovered. How many people went to hospital, but not how many people came out. Right. We were never told about how many people were missing appointments, mm. not going for their cancer diagnosis or treatment. We were never told about children who were falling off the school register. Yeah. Our focus was trained razor sharp on a certain set of key performance indicators: all COVID deaths, yeah. and now the deaths are even higher than 2021 mm. and you don't hear politicians talk about it. It's not front page news. If there were COVID deaths, it would be front page news. So there's a team of experts and scientists calling for this to be investigated in Sunday Express. Mm. And I agree with them completely. I mean, this is this is a very alarming number of deaths. Yeah. And, and there should be an explanation for what's there going should. on. Well, we'll see if we can get one, shall we? Laura Dosworth, thank you very much indeed. Uh, we'll be back with more coming up after this. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and talk TV. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Lots to do between now and one o'clock. Ian Collins is here. He's going to be coming in to let us know what's going on on his show. Uh, but coming up in this hour, we're going to be having a quick chat with Peter Cardwell, Talk Radio's political editor, uh, as even more attempts are made uh, to try and smear Sue Ellen Braverman. Uh, there's yet another uh, allegation that's come out in the last few minutes suggesting that she didn't refer herself to some kind of ministerial situation because she had a charitable uh, working situation before she became an MP. And she should have said something about it, apparently, according to some people in the Liberal Democrats Party. We'll find out what that's all about. Dr Charles Levinson is here as well, former uh, chief executive of Dr Call, of course. We're going to find out from him what's going on. There's going to be yet another junior doctor strike coming up, as if we didn't have enough problems with the NHS. And also Nusrit Metab is going to join us, former Scotland, Scotland Yard superintendent, to talk to us about some of the troublesome lawlessness that's been going on around the country, particularly in Cardiff last night. First up, though, uh, let us talk to Peter Cardwell, because uh, 20 minutes ago, roughly, Sir Ellen Braverman was accused of fresh ministerial code breaches. But of course, this is the kind of thing that happens. This is what they do uh, when they're like a dog with a bone, where they go, oh, we found out some other stuff that maybe shouldn't be done uh, that might be a breach or might not be a breach, but somebody's going to have to investigate to see whether it is a breach. Let's see if we can get Peter Cardwell to explain. Peter, very good afternoon to you. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm sort of reading this story with sort of in encountering incredulity, really, because it sort of it doesn't really point anything out that may be a breach of the code. It points out something that could possibly, maybe, if it had happened at another time, be a breach of the code. But it's it's kind of all adding to the cacophony around the Home Secretary at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think it's that serious. It's uh, the fact that Ciela Braverman, between 2010 and 2015, before she was an MP did some charity work with an organization called the Africa Justice Foundation. Mm. And this brained various people who were lawyers at the time, gave them extra skills, gave them the sort of the benefit of Ciela Braverman. She was quite a high-flying lawyer. Um, her experience, she was in it with Cherie Blair, uh, obviously, uh, Sheree Booth, Sheree Blair, delete is financially necessary, <laughs> who was, um, uh, who is Tony Blair's uh, wife and a very high-flying lawyer and, uh, and um, a judge in her own right. Now, there are various people in the uh, who she who Sheila Brabham worked with in the Africa Justice Foundation um, who are now key members of uh, the government, Paul Kagame's government, mm. the president of Rwanda's government. So she knows these people. Mm. Now, what, this, you might think, might be quite helpful in terms of the links 
with Rwanda, mm. but now there are people saying, well, actually, this £140 million deal to send asylum seekers to Rwanda, maybe she should have declared it. She probably should have declared it, but the fact that she didn't, is it really that serious? I'm yes. not sure. Um, one former minister has, has apparently told the independent, the Home Secretary never mentioned her work with the charity and should have been upfront and transparent. Well, two former standards chiefs, including Alistair Graham, who sometimes comes on uh, our, our programming, um, says that uh, she should have formally disclosed it. Now, I don't think this is going to make a massive difference to how too many people live their lives. Right. Maybe it's a breach of the rules. Maybe it isn't. But does it really make that much of a difference? Yes. Um, I think the the aspect in terms of the in terms of the speeding fine that does make a difference because it is what she did or didn't do as a government minister mm. whereas this relates to charity work that she didn't make a profit from yeah. before she became even an mp never mind a government right. minister and so according to sources close to her there is no absolute yes uh, or no answer to this i mean nobody seems to know about the actual uh, code for this something like this because she wasn't an mp she wasn't a minister um it was quite a long time before she was a minister and so you know, I think and that's, that's, charity that's, that's work. and it was charity work for which he wasn't paid. So, you know, all in all, I think we're just going to see more and more of these kind of stories from, you know, emanating from God knows where, trying to sort of make it all look a lot worse. Yeah, I mean, Sir Alistair Graham is the former head of the Committee on Standards and Public Life. He's been on Talk TV a number of times, said, uh, has told The Independent where the story has originated. The Independent website used mm. to be the used- just a website. If the Rwanda policy was there when she produced a declaration of interest and did not include it, then I would have thought that would have been a breach of the ministerial code. Now, is it a serious breach of the ministerial code? I don't know. Does Rishi Sunak care? Um, I don't know. Right. I think this is this is obviously there is there is a sense that people are out to get Suella Brown. There is, isn't there? Yeah. And it seems as though there has been a sense really for a while since the days of Pretty Patel that there are be there are people out to get certain people. Well, the uh, and, they, and, they all, and they all seem to be on the sort of right side of the Tory party. Well, there are a lot of people who are not happy with the asylum policy, um, Mike. There are a lot of people who are very happy with it mm. in terms of sending people to Rwanda. It's actually a very popular policy within Conservative voters. But there are a lot of people who aren't. So in terms of the uh, speeding fine and what she attempted to do, the speeding fine, I think there probably is a case to answer there. I think there w- there are mm. possible things that went wrong there, possible things that she did incorrectly. I know there are people who say that's just a witch hunt. I, I probably disagree with that. But this one, in terms of charity work she did a number of years ago, if she had links with Rwanda, well, that's a good thing right. if she wants to pursue this policy. And there are a number of people who went through this voluntary organisation that are now in key positions in Rwanda's government. Well, those links are always helpful. Um, should she have declared it? Well, maybe she should have. But is it that serious? I don't think so. Because the other thing that always happens in these circumstances is at some point or other, somebody will say, surely now that she's the story, she'll have to go. So it's not so much about the substance of the claims, it's more about what people are talking about. Perception is reality in politics, yeah. Mike. Yeah, there will be, there will be, there'll be more of these, I would imagine as well. There will be te- attempts to get rid of Suella Braverman. I mean, the interesting thing is that she did resign previously because of a breach of the ministerial code because of sending an email to someone she yes. shouldn't have sent an email and she she resigned as a result of that so there's there are questions not just for rishi sunak but also for suella braverman mm. in terms of saying if that was the standard you held yourself to before what what standard are you holding yourself to now and all of these allegations will play into that as well it's a kind of mad way to run a country though isn't it it is a bit um, i think <laughs> i mean that, you know um, forgive me for trivializing it but i'm afraid i am 
Well, I, th I think there are many people in America who look at the fact that, you know, their former President Trump is now a convicted sex offender, um, and they're looking to us and say, your scandal's involved. Well, he's you not know, actually, though, is he? He's not a convicted sex offender, you know, because well, it, well, it wasn't a criminal case. That's the point. Well, that's a civil case. OK, we're dancing ahead of a pen, Mike. But anyway... What I'm, well, what, I wouldn't what, want to what, dance on the head of a pin if you call someone a sex offender isn't one. I mean, you'd be dancing uh, somewhere else, I'm afraid, with your pants taken in, down. Well, I, I sincerely apologise <laughs> to President Trump. Then. I, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure he's watching. Um, and, he does uh, my, watch. My, he likes it. My, my, my point is that, that is that's a big scandal, whereas here yes. we have scandals involved. Yeah, no, listen, <laughs> we'll say, say it as, as you wish to say it. Certainly he's, he's been found by a civil jury to have sexually abused a woman, uh, and he's also under indictment by a, a New York state attorney, no, but none sure. of which okay. seems to make any difference. My, 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 my point is that, 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 to me, definitely is a scandal and is something that people are talking about, yeah. whereas we in the UK have scandals which revolve around motorhomes, people doing voluntary work yeah. and people trying not to attend speed awareness courses. Right. I mean, it's, it's all about budget, really. It is, really. It is, I'm afraid. You'll have to come up with something better. Please do. See what you can do this <laughs> afternoon. Peter Cardwell, thank you very much indeed. Talk Radio's political editor. I mean, it is ludicrous, it seems to me. Uh, the people are accusing the Home Secretary, the most senior um, probably uh, politician in this country after the Prime Minister, of something that really is of no consequence. That's the bit that I find quite extraordinary. And obviously it's all driven by the left, who want to get rid of her, because they don't like her, because they think she might be quite good at her job, or not. Well, let's talk to Nazrit Metab, who's with the uh, former Scotland Yard superintendent, of course. We've had an awful lot of crime stories around of late, not least that terrible uh, night of sort of rioting over in Cardiff last night, where loads of cars got torched, a few police officers were injured. Uh, we've also had, of course, vehicle thefts up 25% as criminals are using a variety of high-tech methods to steal different cars. So, you know, there's a lot to talk about. Nazareth, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Mike. I mean, I was watching with sort of horror last night as, as the, 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 the scenes unfolded over in Cardiff because we haven't really seen anything like that in this country for a while. Um, and it makes you wonder whether we're going to see more of it. I, I think we are, and you're absolutely right. When I looked at the footage as well, um, it was absolutely horrendous. Now, that's emanated from maybe false reports on the media that police were involved <clears throat> in a car chase where mm. two teenagers died. But that's still under investigation. Yeah. It was on social media that these rumours were fueled, and all these people have come out to create these scenes, which we really don't need and don't help. Mm. But you're right, there's a wider discontent going on, Mike, within our society with the cost of living, poverty, uh, youth not having enough spaces to go and, you know, uh, socialise mm. or do what they have to do. But, Mike, that's no excuse for what they've done. It's horrendous. No, of course not. That there's a decay in our wider society mm. and it really has to be tackled. But I certainly think this will be a summer of discontent and we are unfortunately going to see this. Now, the police are investigating the whole incident, really, to see where these rumours have come from because... Yeah. Uh, according to them, they weren't actually involved in a car chase. So something's happened. And I think that once they investigate, look at the social media, and I hope the perpetrators are actually, you know, found and mm. held to account, because we cannot have this, Mike, no. on the street. Because, I mean, the last time we had sort of large-scale rioting and looting and all of that, I think it was about 2011, wasn't it? Um, the one that sort of kicked off in, um, in Tottenham. 
Yes, I mean, that was a long time ago. Yeah, and we haven't really <laughs> seen anything like that, but it can, it's one of these things that can sort of catch fire, can't it? Suddenly it happens in another city, suddenly, you know, somebody else gets upset about something, suddenly they're looting shops and they're setting fire to cars and chucking rocks at the police. You know, it can take off quite quickly. Well, it can, and I think the police need to kind of, they've you know, they've come out with a statement, which is really good, because the police have to put out the counter-narrative that, that, no, this wasn't involved in a police chase. But I think it's just an excuse, Mike. They just need an excuse. Mm. Tomorrow there'll be something else that will start. Right. So I think, you know, uh, really, it, it has to be, the deeper issues in society have to be handled. We can't have the summer of discontent now with it hitting off on other cities as well, with something really small yeah. taking off. This is horrendous what happened to those two teenagers. But the reaction from that is so, so very wrong. Yeah. So what do the police do in these situations then in terms of, you know, making sure that there isn't that kind of un, uh, unbridled aggression that's sort of sitting just below the surface? I mean, how can they find out if that's going on? Well, I mean, please do monitor social media. So they, there was, this is all started from social media and the rumours that went on for social media. Mm. I think, you know, police generally do monitor social media, so they could have stepped in quicker. But this situation evolved really quickly, Mike. It went from social media, uh, the car crash, to people coming out and basically being thugs and writing yeah. and losing without even having the right information at hand. But there is an anti-police feeling as well that's mm. really suited. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's just bubbling on the surface. So let's hope that police investigate, get all the images of those people that were involved and send out a mm. strong, clear message that if you behave like this, it will come after you. They also need to look at the social media and who spread those rumours. Yeah. And I think social media has a big, big part to play. But so do the social media companies. Yes. But, I mean, there is a sense, isn't there, for an awful lot of um, people when they talk about the police, that the police are not really in a position to win or to lose. They're just kind of getting battered from every point wherever they try and do things, you know, because crime is up, you know, theft, car theft is up, as we were saying, 25%. Um, using high-tech methods, a friend of mine had a car stolen, quite an expensive car, because they just literally, um, you know, recorded the, the frequency that you would use to get into the car without a key, you know, and then they just drove off in it. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> that's not a new method. That's been going on for a long time yeah. with half um, you know, high-value cars. Yeah, but they seem to be doing it a lot more now. Yeah, I mean, the manufact because it's become, you know, they're ahead of the game and they're always, uh, car thieves are always trying to find new ways. Manufacturers need to as well take big responsibility yeah. because they have to come up with new systems and processes to stop this. Mm. But as soon as they come up with something, the car thieves are a step ahead. And unfortunately, this will go on. But the responsibility for a high-valued car, if you're paying so much money rests with the manufacturers to come out with something a little bit more complicated than allowing somebody to go outside your house and kind of take their laptop and be able to download and then be able to open your car. Mm. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's not just very high-valued car. They do it to other cars as well. Right. And you're saying about this, you know, car uh, theft rising. In my own area where I live, part of the neighbourhood um Neighbourhood Watch, we get all the crime reports coming in. Absolutely horrendous. Right. Every single car is targeted, but it's also joyriding as well. Right. They target old cars as well as new. But cars, you know, 25% up, burglaries up, all those things are up. And you can't, the police can't always 
fight if a vehicle crime is up. They can go and give advice, crime prevention advice to people. Yes. But when people, when you're dealing with thieves that are really quite sophisticated and they want these high value cars and they're able to come up and keep one step ahead of the manufacturers and the police, there's a real problem. There really is. And, and it's a big problem in solving any of these crimes as well, because as much as some people end up getting their cars back, a lot of people don't, never see them again. Um, they presumably get shipped off somewhere overseas. Yeah. <clears throat> the thing is, these, you know, car theft isn't a police priority. Mm. There are many, many other things. Violence against women and girls. Generally, you know, the increase in violence. And there's still a terrorist threats as well. So car theft, bike theft, burglaries are not a police priority. It's to do with resources, and we've always said that. Yeah. It's also to do with experience and workloads. There's too many young police officers coming in. But, Mike, 84% of policing isn't about solving crime. Hmm. And policing and solving crime are really not synonymous anymore because the majority of the work of the police force out there now is um, social services. Yeah. It's looking after the mental health um, crisis that we have because other services are not able to deal with it. Police shouldn't be the first port of resort. They should be the last port of resort. Or when they get to a situation there, they should be able to direct people, signpost mm. them, involve other partner agencies. But we haven't got that. So when you look at crime being high and it's not a priority, it's because they have to do other things. And if 84% isn't about solving crime, what is it that they're doing and how can we make that? So actually 84 to 100% is about solving crime. Yeah, because I mean, we, look, we looked at a piece of footage this morning, I don't know you saw it, of the Just Stop Oil protesters in um, Blackfriars Bridge. And at one point a guy gets out of the car, as is happening more and more often, and starts like pushing the Just Stop Oil protesters out of the way. The police end up arresting him um, and being quite heavy handed with him while they're letting the others do what they want to do, you know? And I think people are getting frustrated uh, at the lack of action by the police in these situations. And now they're arresting what I would say are the wrong people. Well, they've been given new powers, haven't they? With yeah. the uh, new powers to stop protesting. But it's all about, you know, uh, it's about disruption. So those new powers can be used. And I agree with you that there's a little bit more mm. that the police can do to stop this kind of thing. Because you know, the right to protest is enshrined. We all agree that it's enshrined our society be to have a right to protest. And it's actually quite a positive cause. But when it disrupts everybody's normal life, then police have to act to make sure that they don't, you know, that they arrest these people. Let them protest. They're out there. Done your job. Now arrest them and take them off so yeah. people can enjoy their normal life. Well, that's and, the thing. You know, because if they don't start doing that, people are going to start getting annoyed and there's going to be more breaches of the peace. And there's going to be more people um, you know, getting into fights in the street, which they can't have happening either. Well, no, because it's, it's civil disorder. But I think there has to be a balance with a person's right to protest, mm. which you know we uphold, and also the right to allow people to go about their normal business in a safe environment. Now, the police have been given new powers and it's about them using those powers to work with the protesters so they know. But this disruption can't take place because certainly, you know, um, if you're in traffic, you want to get somewhere, hospital appointments, mm. uh, visiting people in hospital, it's all we have to take that into consideration. It's about not about suppressing protest. It's about thinking about how can we protect the rights of other people and it's balancing the two.
Absolutely. Nusrit, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Nusrit Metab there, the former Scotland Yard superintendent. Because there will be now more and more of these situations where people take the law into their own hands. If the police aren't going to stop these people from getting in the way of your car or your lorry or your van and your work, then you're going to do it. And that's going to be a problem. This is Talk To Me. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.